0: As hilarious as that music may sound, it is not how I want to kick off my podcast. Welcome to the Michael Aldrin Comedy Podcast. It's going to be so much fun where he makes humor of himself and the many things in New York City. Oh, and by the way, this is not the voice of Bruno. How's everybody doing? I appreciate you guys tuning back in. Hopefully you enjoyed episode 35 with Kyle Ayers. I definitely had a great time recording it. Uh, Thanksgiving just passed. Uh, Hopefully you had uh, a lot to be grateful for. I know um, I took a little bit of time to reflect and I uh, had the pleasure of being with family. Hopefully you guys were with family uh, or friends but nevertheless my parents actually came out to visit me in new york they brought her a little puppy coco is her name um so she's been getting used to the city but i figured i'd do a little something different today and with the permission of my guest (laughs) uh i think it'll be a lot of fun for myself and hopefully him and, and for all of you as well so um I have the 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 special guest joining the Michael Oldroyd comedy podcast today is none other than my dad, Mr. Mark Oldroyd. How's it going, Dad? Going good. Awesome. Thank you for asking. Absolutely. Um, did you have fun tonight? We we went to a jazz uh, we went to a jazz show tonight.
1: I had a blast. I've uh, Got the see a couple of old friends that played in the Maria Schreiber band um, and um, hung with them and then the, and the band was fantastic the music was very unique for a big band it wasn't your typical swing big band it was it was all built around her compositions and the colors that she used and the Modes of expression, yeah, the emotion, all that, just really was outstanding. That's awesome, Dad. Yeah, I, I had a really good time. So
0: you mentioned that you you saw some friends there, some old friends. Can we can we hear a little bit more about that? So you have some friends, obviously. I think I've mentioned it to the viewers in the past, but you're a longtime jazz musician, musician first, and and jazz is kind of always been your passion and I think it intertwines a lot with comedy and you know I fell into comedy which um didn't realize that the apple didn't fall too far from the tree but they're very connected so anyway you talk about your your friends can you who, who were those friends and how did you meet them tonight uh, uh, not tonight but the people that you mentioned that were at the show
1: Well, the Maria Schneider Orchestra is filled with the very best musicians in New York City, which pretty much makes them the very best musicians in the world. And I've been fortunate enough just in my jazz journey to either study with or have the pleasure of associating with some of the guys that were in the band tonight. Notably, one is Dave Pietro. Played. He had seven instruments there that he doubled on tonight, and he's a phenomenal woodwind player, flute, soprano, saxophone, clarinet, he played clarinet tonight, and so many other things. He teaches, he's a professor of jazz at New York University. And, uh, and he, uh, he was very nice,
0: thanks for introducing me to him. Uh, definitely we got to hear him play a solo, which was really nice. Uh, and yeah, you know, obviously to be a professor uh, at any university, it's a pretty big deal. So he's definitely been doing
1: it for decades. Um, so yeah, uh, part of Dave's credentials were that he played with the Maynard Ferguson Orchestra and toured with Maynard Ferguson back in the day. So he's got a lot of credits, so and then he's done a lot of the shows here in New York, and is really an intelligent. Person, a great writer, but a phenomenal soloist. And you met him going to one of the jazz camps, right? I met him in uh, St. Louis at a jazz camp, and he was—I was went there to brush up, Um, and he ended up being my uh, my my teacher for the week. Yeah. uh, Yeah. We kind of got along, you know.
0: Yeah, he seemed like a great guy. he seemed to remember you immediately.
1: How long ago was this, by the way? Oh, that's probably been, I don't know, maybe eight to ten years. Yeah. Uh, somewhere in there. Have you know. seen him between now and then? Yeah, Every time I find yeah. out where he is, if we're in the same vicinity, we we hang out. Uh, I need song. to get some more fans like you, Dad. People. <laughs> I. So I'm in Dallas a few years ago. He was down there with the uh, Jazz Educators uh, Network. Yeah. But I I, I have a special affinity towards his playing because he's so technically proficient, but yet so soulful. mm -hmm. So honest with his his music. Well, um, I think that's a big part of maybe
0: what told me it drew you to jazz was that honesty, right? It's a type of communication. We can get into that in a little bit. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what I will say is David seemed to remember you very distinctly uh, based on a prank that you pulled at the audition when you went to that jazz camp. So everybody had to audition at this jazz camp, and you know, it's obviously a very professional camp, you know, people probably of all ages that are serious about jazz. It's just like, if I wanted to spend the money and time going to a, a comedy camp, uh, you know, it, it's an investment, right? You, you're going to further perfect your craft and move forward and meet people. Um, and, and you know, actually, we went to a jazz camp a long time ago. which to no, that, we uh, did.
1: About it's Jamie yeah.
0: was about year 2000 when yeah I was in 8th really grade that's one. when I had my hair dyed blonde if you don't remember, <laughs> if you don't remember. remember. anyway um, so at least you had hair yeah well that's funny um, so so David um, mentioned a prank that you pulled at the at your audition and I have to <laughs> compliment you really quick because apparently you know when they audition they it's it's just a place uh, you know, it's everyone can sign up for the camp, but when you get there, you audition so that you can be put into the level where you are, right? So that you don't have somebody who just started spending the same time as somebody who's been doing it for decades. You want to kind of put people at their level and you know that is associate them with the people that are relative to their to their own uh, where they are in their journey. And uh, I think it's pretty cool that you, you know. But I pulled out the. To that, that I pulled
1: made, out the rubber chicken. Yeah.
0: Yes. He, he seemed. David seemed to. Um, His name's Dave. But. I was. I was going to say that he that he put you in the highest level, which is a compliment. <laughs> but yes, he did remember
1: you for the rubber chicken prank.
0: Which do you want to mention exactly?
1: Well, everybody's always nervous at any type of audition, and including the auditioners and the auditionees, and uh, I just. Had this crazy idea, and so I opened up my case and <laughs> pulled out a rubber chicken instead of the and, instrument. Of course, and, uh, and the uh, the it, I, I don't believe it was Dave that was auditioning me that that time, but. Uh, the word got around the guy with the rubber chicken so anyway it, it lightened things up and and now dave and i really had a good laugh about it so so you became famous at the jazz camp. yeah for not for chicken. my play but for my rubber chicken
0: well hey you gotta have a gimmick right there? Well, i guess no that's good um well that's that's pretty cool it seemed like uh, it was nice that you were able to connect and then you saw a couple other other people tonight that you knew
1: and then you met as well right uh, well that's a fun, and, that's a fun thing about uh, you know being able to travel and 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 being able to attend the concerts where these great musicians that fascinate me because of their level of musicianship and technique and just amazing magic that they produce it's nice to be able to go and I always try to look them up and and I try to if somebody's kind of like I don't know whether you can use the word hero or not but um, if they if I'm very impressed I'll go after him and I want to meet him and I want to talk to them and and uh, the other trumpet player that was with Maria tonight was that I knew better than the others, I knew some of the others too, but was Tony Cadillac and he's, he's a staple in the New York recording, big band scene and he's just a wonderful person and a great player. He teaches at Manhattan School of Music and he's done all the shows in town and uh, played on Tony Bennett and almost anybody you want to know and it's just a pleasure to kind of hang with these guys on a personal level and Facebook has helped a lot in that way and then I met a couple of others too, Greg Gisbert who played with Buddy Rich for many years and is a phenomenal player, the first time I heard him I just dropped my jaw and just, uh, and that was many many years ago when he was a young man, he still he, he played his solo tonight and, yeah. uh, and then uh, Mike Rodriguez Oh, he was, yeah, one of the trumpet players. And then we got to meet the former trumpet player from the David Letterman show, Frank Green. He wasn't playing tonight, but I got to meet him. I've always admired his abilities, too. By the way, if anybody hears uh,
0: little steps going on in the background, it's our dog, Coco, who's walking around, minding her own business, doing her thing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, that, that was really cool that you got to meet the guy from the David Letterman show. We have. When you and mom came out to visit, at one point, maybe two years ago, I think we did Christmas here in New York. We went, you know, we got to see one of the last shows uh, that David Letterman did. I don't know if that was the right time. Either way, it was sometime when you came out to visit me, we got to see, uh, you know, David Letterman um, and
1: uh, and I remember you knew uh, at least one Tom of the Bones Malone. Yeah, he's the one that got us got us there and uh, I've run into him at a few different jazz educators conventions and uh, and he's also a multi-instrumentalist and uh, I would say by now we're pretty much on first name basis with most of these guys you <laughs> know so
0: yeah well I, I can't one of the things that I couldn't help but notice tonight is just the number of parallels between jazz and comedy. Everything from the type of the club, um, you know, just going down into the jazz club tonight. It was the Jazz Standard, it reminded me so much of you know any of your comedy clubs in New York, and, and the Jazz Standard is is a is a very nice and renowned club, um, but you know it, it's uh, you know similar to a, you know a Broadway comedy or a Carolines or know, a comedy cellar, um where you go down into the basement and you watch these people who've been perfecting their craft for decades, right? You don't get to play in those types of places unless you've been it's really a lifelong craft journey, art, um and and dedication. Uh, so, you know, the venues are similar, the 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 circle the way the circles develop are similar, the tiers of um you know, you know there's different tiers of, of perfecting the craft and you kind of kind of rise with your circle hopefully and um, that's kind of how you become successful. A lot of the people as my dad mentioned tonight, have played in you know, every type of venue or opportunity that you can imagine over the years, whether it's you know playing in Hollywood movies, right? I, you have a lot of friends that have been in movies and uh, things like that, and you actually you were in a movie a long time ago, um, any, uh, you were an extra, right, in the movie yeah. Radon and
1: Tubby? Correct. Who was the Charles uh, Bronson? He was the star. Yeah, I said, uh, "Hey, Charlie, how you doing?" And he said, "I don't know who you are, but get out of my face immediately, if not sooner." <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I remember watching the movie and seeing you know, on TV when I was a
0: kid. Uh, you showed me the movie, and I was really uh, taken aback by that. I thought it was pretty cool. I was—I remember being tickled, say- saying, "Wow, that's my dad on screen right there." You—you you just had a mustache at the time, and I could tell you—I think you told me that you were intentionally
1: kind of trying to get close to the camera.
0: Yeah, uh, sat
1: right behind James Woods. He was another star, and. Uh, Peter Finch, I believe it was, won a Golden Globe for his performance, and basically, real quick, it was about uh, some terrorists that hijacked an Israeli airliner and was forced to land in Entebbe by the terrorists, and they kept him there. And then the Israeli commandos went in at night and rescued all of the hostages. So it was, it was really a great movie and it was a lot of fun, you know. Was it based on a true story? Based on a true story, yeah. And where is Entebbe? Eh? Entebbe is in Africa. Wow. Right that's on. the name of uh, you guys. It's the main city in Uganda, I believe. Were you listed in the credits for the movie today? No.
0: <laughs> well, you and I. But I made it about $250. <laughs> yeah. You and I have that in common. We've been extras in a couple movies. So that's pretty cool.
1: Can I have your autograph?
0: Yeah, can I have yours? Sure. All I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it'll cost you. Oh, well, fair enough. I, I thought I was giving you mine out of the kindness of my heart, but fair enough. It looks like you're getting uh, a good deal there. Well,
1: I'm the dad and you're not. Fair
0: enough. <laughs> so uh, so I am curious. I know we were talking a little bit about it tonight, and I know that you started. We haven't even talked about what instrument you play. And Trumpet. And I know... Yep, the trumpet you started playing when you were 12 12 years old and um, you know jazz is obviously kind of a it's a unique thing and you had some friends right that kind of led you yeah, to I, I
1: just kind of gravitated towards that more artistic freedom that's is a part is the essence of jazz really yeah it's you I, I guess if you
0: took two pieces of Two types of music. There's obviously a lot, um, and you compare them or compare and contrast.
1: Jazz is the opposite of classical music in some ways. Would you agree with that, or? I wouldn't say it's the opposite. It has jazz is the true American art. Classical music is Western music coming from Western Europe, and there's also Eastern music and Japanese music and other types. You know. Uh, Middle Eastern music, but Western music uh, is based on basically the diatonic scale, and and that's like
0: Vienna, Austria, classical
1: music. Yeah, is that where
0: where we went together a few years ago when we right. Were in Germany. Right. Okay.
1: And then the history is that there was during the slave trade and the proliferation of slavery in the South that the Slaves, uh, naturally, you know most of them, I guess they were all pretty much african American and they had a certain just uh, natural looseness, relaxation, and a certain feeling and and they were could sing in tune and love to sing harmony and so what happened is the early marching bands which came from France and everything they would march in the streets of New Orleans and they would play the European music marches you know and so on.
0: It sounds like the parade we went to the other day on Thanksgiving, but keep going.
1: And yeah, that was that's the typical American or I mean Western music marching thing, and it was it kind of started with the the, bar, the 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 bands, the military bands that played the marches. Okay, so the African Americans didn't have a lot of money uh, to invest in lessons and and learning to play instruments, and they just pick up anything they could. Make a guitar out of a cigar box, or the great trumpet player who happens to be my favorite, Clark Terry, picked up a, a funnel with the holes and put a mouthpiece on it, and that was his very first horn. Uh, Louis Armstrong, he never had any lessons, but the music was so forceful inside of them, brewing inside of them, that it forced it out. It came out, and it came out different Without the rigidity of the marching band, it came out with a swing feel, a relaxed feel, a happy feel, and that was the development of the blues. And then uh, jazz was born. Blues were born, and jazz was born, and carried up the river from New Orleans up to St. Louis and Chicago, and then spread over to New York. And uh, that was basically you know, how it all got started, and different bands, different talents came about, and some of them started their own band, some of them, a lot of Sidemen, but that was kind of the beginning, and and, and then after the original, kind of started as a Dixieland group, which means trumpet, trombone, clarinet, piano, or banjo, or guitar, or something, for the rhythm, and and a drum. it evolved from that seven-five-seven-piece group into larger bands and for what, more What time?
0: Give us a time frame. Oh,
1: I'd say, well, the early this is the 1900s. the big band? Early 1900s, and then around. What What was the beginning of the 1900s? The The birth of the blues. The birth of jazz. You know, maybe before that, when, they, when the African Americans were singing spirituals and trying to get instruments to play and the rhythm that they had, natural rhythm. And I wouldn't say that is all confined to one race, I mean, because there's people of every race, color, and creed that can play great jazz, but it just kind of started that way because of the circumstances. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, as far as that was. Around well, Louis Armstrong was born in about 1900 or so. I I don't remember the exact date, but we could look it
0: up on Google. Yeah,
1: (laughs) it's not that relevant, but anyway, he was one of the leading ones that started this improvisation, changing the melody, adding things to the melody, and that's what—that's where the essence of jazz came from, which is the improvisation, the individual improvisation and once somebody is advanced at that, they develop a style and you can recognize that style if they're placed against other jazz stylists. And then the big bands came along in the 20s, 30s and continued to advance advance into the 40s or the big Glenn Miller, Benny Goodman bands like that. And then in the 50s there was another revolution called Bebop and that was started by some New York musicians at least they were this is where the breeding ground of Bebop was and that was uh, Dizzy Gillespie, the great trumpet player uh, Charlie Parker and there's so many others too that were in on that scene and that lasted for I mean it's still alive today but I'm saying that it I think it's heyday, the heyday of bebop was probably in the 50's and they had west coast jazz, they had east coast jazz, different styles, the west coast musicians have a little smoother, a little more polished finesse because they do a lot of recording. Uh, The east coast musicians out here nowadays are equally finessed because of their unbelievable educators like Dave, Pietro, and Tony Cadillac, which we didn't mention, but we met him tonight, great trumpet player. Or did we mention him? I don't know. But anyway, and then Miles Davis was uh, predominant in the 50s, too, and he evolved into more of an electronic music in the 60s and 70s. He was more of like a, a rock commercial type thing, but some people feel that that's his best work. I think his best work was in the 50s. He was a trumpet player. For How long those did don't he live? I don't know. You asked me that earlier, but I, uh, I'm not sure. You know, I think around 70. Uh, was it a drug overdose? No, actually, the thing about Miles Davis, it's very admirable. Is most of the beboppers around the 1950s, it was just cool to be on drugs, and they had a special language, you know, to cats, And it wasn't unusual for most of them to be seriously addicted to heroin, and some of them died. Well, the thing about Miles Davis, first of all, he was a musical genius. He had perfect pitch, and he was an iconoclast. You know, he broke all the rules before him, and he also had a, a photographic memory. And he also got caught up in this New York scene of heroin addiction. And to show you the strength of, of his and intensity of his character, he made up his mind to quit, and he quit cold turkey. He went back to St. Louis, actually, East St. Louis, Alton, Illinois, and went up into his dad's house and um, locked himself away and went through all that pain and sweating that it takes to, to kick heroin.
0: So. Cold Turkey, I remember you telling me that story about Miles Davis. I'd say Miles Davis is probably the most famous jazz musician,
1: wouldn't you? Or yeah, worldwide. 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 Say, yeah. I remember... Well, um, Miles Davis is, you know, Miles Davis and Dizzy Gillespie. Yeah, Dizzy Gillespie. Miles Davis was, uh,
0: who were you more influenced by? Who, who, who was the most influential for you? Who did you well, like?
1: I, I think every jazz musician has been influenced by Miles Davis. I particularly like his work in the 50s.
0: So Miles Davis is like the Richard Pryor of comedy in some ways, or the, I would say, the George I Carlin? I would say so.
1: They say that uh, typically that his album, Kind of Blue, was is the best jazz album ever made if you had to boil it all down to one. But, he was a, he was truly a, a creative force. You mentioned to me—I remember hearing you, 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 your your
0: perspective on him is that he was always evolving as an artist.
1: Yeah, he never was good enough, but he was also in his own mind. Yeah, he always wanted to press into new areas. He was so smart that he'd get bored with where he was, you know. And everybody that was all the sheep that were following him and trying to copy him. You know, he, he was always ahead of that game, and uh, I think that's one reason why he was so successful. He was smart enough to kind of go Set into the, the trend, yeah, to go into electronic rock later on in his career. Actually, I heard him play uh, when I was in the army band in Stuttgart, Germany. He came through there, and a bunch of a, a bunch of us in the band went to hear him, and Dizzy Gillespie, and Count Basie, and so many others. I was, Went through uh, on their European tours. Yeah, well,
0: you can't bring that up without delving into it a little bit. So when we went to Germany, I mentioned this earlier. Uh, we stopped in Vienna. We went all through Germany, and you know, you showed me where you were based, right, when you were part of the army uh, during the Vietnam era era. Correct. Right. Um, and you know, I got to see our old stomping grounds and you were actually drafted to go to Vietnam, and um, the way that you served was uh,
1: through music. Uh, you know, the band. I was an ambassador of, for, the, for the good, you know, for peace, more than a, a warrior for war.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you, uh, I think one of the coolest things ever, and one of my favorite pictures, of you is uh, I don't I forget it's a picture of you at a cemetery in France Correct. playing taps Paris. Paris it's in Paris you were playing taps and there's a bunch of graves American soldier graves around um, if I'm not mistaken what what event was that
1: it was a it was an event they have every year in May called the American in Paris and they flew our band over there from Stuttgart to Paris and got to uh, play under the Arc de Triomphe, which was one of my greatest musical memories because I, for some reason, was selected to be the solo player. As the rest of the band stood at attention, I played Taps. And that was right after the French drum and bugle Corps played their version, uh, you know, the French version of Taps, or their honor to their fallen Soldiers, and this was under the Arc de Triomphe in Paris. And it was uh, uh, by the flame of the unknown soldier, and that represented all unknown soldiers that ever fought in the war. So it was a great honor. And then later that day, we went out to the the cemetery, the American Cemetery in Paris, and I got to repeat the performance. That's
0: a great honor. How did you? How did you get selected for that?
1: I'm not sure. I was a soloist with the band, and uh, I guess I liked the way I played. But I was honored, and I'll never forget it. It was very humbling.
0: It's a great picture. I
1: mean, that's that's cool, Dad.
0: I appreciate you sharing that. so, you, after the band, uh, after you served, um, was that when you moved to L.A. to pursue music?
1: Well, I actually went back to my former university where I got my music degree and played in their band for a while, but there was a, a new band that was just uh, on fire up in Salt Lake, and it was a program, and and they were the real deal, you know, and so I went up there and uh, joined that, and that was the Lad Macintosh Jazz Orchestra, and he also called it Jazz Orchestra and Rock Gordon, and we went on two tours of the western United States and played at some of the biggest clubs in L.A. and all around, and it was just a fun. It was a bus tour, and it was a Is bunch that, of
0: really crazy people. Is that when you moved to L.A. then?
1: Right after that. Yeah.
0: So that kind of got you introduced to the scene, you liked it, and you thought this would be a great move.
1: Well, that's what I always wanted to do was play. I'd already taught a couple of years uh, in fifth and sixth grade general music, and I just wanted to play, you know, because I had all this music in me. And uh, so I made the leap of faith to L.A. uh, with another friend of mine in uh, in the Ladd Macintosh Orchestra. And to this day, I have wonderful friends that were in that band together, and we've all had our own separate journeys, so.
0: Yeah, I know that when you came to visit me in L.A., you uh, you went to meet up with friends um, from, from those days, uh, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, and uh, one of the things we talked about tonight was that... Uh, Think L.A. and New York are the biggest places for jazz, which is true for comedy as well. A little bit of Chicago sprinkled in, and for jazz, Kansas City is pretty big. You know, there was a lot um, Charlie Parker from Kansas City, but uh, whole bunch of people. Um, So
1: you, uh, one thing. Those are only the famous ones. You know, you throw all these names around, but. One thing we were talking about earlier tonight was how many great musicians there really are that are so accomplished and you'll never nobody'll ever know their names. They play on movies or they play whatever. But I mean these are the people that have that have great discipline, great talent, and they've worked hard on their instrument. They don't pick up a Vodafone or what do they call that voice thing. And uh, uh, you know, or make nonsense, or oh, the thing that T. Pain uses, the voice, yeah, synthesizing. You know, yeah, I, I just I'm not into that. But these are the people that I we're talking about that we listen to tonight, and uh, there's just so many great musicians in the world, and there's really the supply is much greater than the demand, and it's actually pretty hard to make a living doing it full time. Yeah.
0: Of. Well, that's one of the things that you always kind of um, helped create awareness uh, for me, at least growing up. Was you know the different ways of doing the art. You know, music was kind of the example you used. You know, because you're you're passionate about it. But you know, the difference between com- what's commercial and you know what's trending right now versus um, you know perfecting the craft or the art, and sometimes get lucky enough where there's overlap between the two um, but you know not everybody who's mastered the craft becomes famous right and, and maybe they don't want to you know fame isn't necessarily the the end game for some people you know they would like that of course but you know not everyone is going to be famous
1: the way miles davis was right um right i think the essence of art is in the ear of the beholder and it's a very broad definition but to me you know it's subjective but to me art only has value if it has substance, if it has sophistication, if it has intelligence, if it has passion and uh, if it's not um, an act it's not fake. Uh, so that, that's to me that's what art is. And that's exactly what we heard tonight at Jazz Standard with Maria Schreiber. You know, it's just uh, it was pure art. I keep saying Schreiber, but her name is Schneider. Let me correct that. Maria Schneider. It's the first time I've ever heard that band. I've heard of it before. But it's was basically her pure artistic compositions very unique yeah so that, that's what it is it's unique
0: yeah I I'm enjoyed it I enjoyed it. the solos uh, and um, yeah I think you had a you know I, I think I'm, I'm really lucky to have the, the musical awareness and background that I have naturally is just being your son I mean nobody very few people know this but you know I dabbled in music when I was a kid and I think it helped give me a framework of awareness especially for comedy you know I, I think there's so many parallels you know the way I look at, I look at reading classical music similar to being a, a classically trained actor right it, it, there's somebody else who wrote it the piece or whatever the the, the lines in the scene. And there's a director there to, to say you stand here at this point we're going to cast a specific type of person to do this specific type of thing in acting you know and that's kind of like we're going to put this we're going to play some beethoven or or um you know mozart that the composers designed it to be this way and then when you start to shift over to more and more jazz that becomes more and more a shift to improv and stand-up comedy um you know, improv is the stuff I do at UCB, but that's more ensemble-based. And, and the thing about jazz is you rare I don't think you see any musician out there just doing a one-man band type thing. So, the closest parallel well, I you see... Well,
1: could, you could do that with piano or guitar, but it's kind of hard to do it with a horn. Yeah, you so... Know, as a horn player, you know, you kind of need somebody to set that up and back up. Or a bass player, something to kind of just coordinate.
0: Yeah, so I think improv, you know, ensemble base, you know, with my UCB group is, is very closely related to a jazz combo. Uh, I don't really know how I would define stand-up comedy as how it relates to it, but I know that it uses the elements, right? You have your... Do you
1: have a form? Yeah. Do you follow a form? Because music always follows a form Yeah. a format, you know? Yeah. You I create the form, though. Okay. You know... So there's no standard form.
0: Material. Well, there's, there's some templates, right? But there's... You know, material is kind of the form. You know, you have uh, subjects that you talk about and punchlines, exactly. hopefully. Um, but naturally, what makes comedy... What, what makes comedy great is either spontaneity or the illusion of spontaneity. Right, and that's the art of stand-up comedy is having your material down so well that it creates the illusion of spontaneity, but the best comedians can sprinkle in the gaps with true spontaneity.
1: It's exactly setup. the same as jazz. If if a person is playing something that is memorized, uh, and, and and the left the intelligent part of their brain is overpowering the the um, instinctive or the intuitive part of their brain or the emotional part of their brain, you can tell it, but there's got to be a good balance there, you know. So, uh, improvisation is really the essence of jazz. Yeah. And well, comedy, I, I guess, right? Well,
0: yeah, I think that the,
1: the improvisation is something that...
0: Um, it's something that's harder to teach uh, you know it, that's the feel part right the trusting your gut and your instinct and letting the impulse um, come out right you, kind of, you have this impulse or desire where you're like say this or I want to say this I, I have the desire to in the moment and I think that's what kind of releases what improv is and I think that part is kind of hard to teach or even practice, I mean, you can practice getting comfortable trusting your instincts and just saying it, but for me, nobody taught me how to be a class clown growing up, it just happened naturally, so those instincts are improv in the class, you know, where the material is being created by the classroom and then I have an instinct and I say something, nobody can teach that, but then the material takes a lot of tweaking and honing and writing and rewriting, you know, that's the part that people can focus on and get better at. Delivering that is a whole other art, you know. That's Second. getting, you know, timing down, um, you know, voice and fluctuations if they're appropriate, and hopefully the material is true. Because if it's not, just like you said before, then you're doing an act, and if your act is fake, it's going to be hard to sustain that over the over the course of time.
1: Well, um, what I liked about what we were talking about earlier with with your approach to it is that you're interested in the integrity of the art and uh, producing a quality product and you're not gonna sell out to commercialism or, uh, or some other influence, you know? So that's really important to really great artists is keeping the integrity of their, their art. If it's their own style or whatever it is, even if people don't like it. I mean, you know, a lot of the great painters came along, uh, and like Van Gogh's a good example, and painted really weird stuff for the time, and people go, ah, get out of here, you know, we're not gonna buy that crap, blah, 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 blah. But look where he is now. I mean, he's highly respected His paintings. Now people can see kind of where he was going sometimes. It's an acquired taste, I think. I don't know about comedy, but with jazz, there's—I I, I need to say this. Almost with everything, there's levels of sophistication. If it's thinking, if it's politics, if it's opinions, if it's—if it's listening to art, there's levels of sophistication, and we're all on this journey. And you know, at a certain point, your level of sophistication is gonna. Kind of look back where you've come from and said you know I've already been on that it's not interesting I want to push forward and hopefully our goal as artists is to keep pushing our art to the point where we're really comfortable with it and and it's a high level of integrity and sophistication
0: yeah um, and speaking of that You have one album out, and you're working on a second one, right? So... Correct. The first one is called The Art of the Melody. Uh, I personally recommend it. I know that some of my friends who've listened to it, uh, like Scott, really likes it. I don't wanna... Scott Luthauser, I can say. (laughs) Hey, Scott. Uh, Yeah. He, he, uh, He says that he listens to that sometimes, you know? It just, you know, purely just for the sake that it it makes him happy to listen to it, you know, and I think that, you know, you talk talking about it being subjective, that should make you happy to know that regardless of how he's interpreting it, he likes it, right? Yeah. And I think uh, I think it is a great, I, I love the CD. Uh, it's, it's
1: about communication. If you can communicate, that, that's the whole thing, I'm sure, with comedy too, and especially jazz is... You know, maybe somebody's not ready for that level of sophisticated communication, or maybe they they like the more basic level, so um, it's about communication, that's what it is.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, definitely comedy is about communication. Uh, people aren't going to laugh if they don't understand um, the punchline. Well, I, I guess, guess they will sometimes, uh, depending on how you say it, but. That's a different type of communication. It's still communication. Um, and then you're
1: working on a, another one right now called... Um, Conversation. Yeah. I'm really excited about that, and I'll tell you why. Because my best voice is a flugelhorn, which is like a grandpa cornet, but it has a very mellow sound. And it's just beautiful, and when you take that sound and you blend that tam- timbre of the fat, round, beautiful, rich brass with a guitar, with the strings of a guitar, whether it's electric or acoustic. It's that's to me just an, an amazing combination. And I have a friend that's a great guitar player. He happens to be a professor of music at Webster University in St. Louis, and. Um, we're putting it together and uh... it's, it's coming along. It's, uh, I still have a lot of work to do but hopefully <laughs> we've been working on it for quite a while. But anyway, the point is it's that beautiful sound of guitar and flugelhorn and um, I, I gotta get it done. Yeah,
0: well uh... I'm looking forward to hearing it. Um, and. You know how if people want to listen to your music, how are they supposed to
1: get a hold of it, Dad? Uh, I don't know. I think you have the only copy left. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I guess it's all the
1: rest of them were used for frisbees. <laughs> it's all it's all rusting on my shoulders, huh? To get your music to the world. Uh, if anybody wants to get a hold of it, uh, I guess they, you're more famous than I am, so they can contact you and and. Uh, Take care of it from there. Yeah. All right. You can be my agent. Yeah, I'll be your manager,
0: Dad. I'll get you. What do you uh, charge, by the way? Just a percentage. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I've got the music on iTunes, so I'll have to figure out how to get it distributed at some point. Um,
1: Well, that that particular CD, uh, I didn't make it for commercial purposes, I made it for the love of my sister. Who passed away a couple of years ago, and it was her kind of style of music—the old standards, the really beautiful songs, "Over the Rainbow" and "My Funny Valentine," um, "Our Love Is Here to Stay," "Skylark," um, and, and different—you know, it's just a couple of Latin tunes on there. So, it's pretty easy listening, and uh, I've had—I've had some. Musicians that are very t- top-tier, world-class friends and people that sincerely told me they liked it, so that was enough for me, I was very happy about that. Bobby Shue, right? Bobby Shue, the great trumpet player, Mike Barone, the great arranger, uh, Marvin Stam, f- phenomenal trumpet player from upstate New York here, he was a big part of the whole recording scene. Uh, In the past, he's getting up there in age now. And, you know, just, I'm just always flattered when people, Roger Ingram, great lead trumpet player, Woody Herman for many years, all said they liked it. And it kind of, and I know they're saying it sincerely because most jazz musicians are very honest and blunt and to the point. So if they didn't like it, they wouldn't comment.
0: Yeah, both on stage and off stage, right through their music and through their. Yeah, it's
1: a straight ahead thing, you know. It's uh, there's no fluff. There's you can't no... be
0: a fake jazz musician, can you, Dad? Well,
1: you can. Soft jazz, but uh, well, people put Kenny G down all the time. He's kind of a laughing stock. I don't know if they're they're laughing at his hair or his playing, but he's a very good technician, and he also owns a home in Malibu. So (laughs) there's a lot of great musicians, but in a way he kind of found his niche and pursued it and was monetarily successful, whether he's artistically satisfied or artistically successful, maybe another story. Now, Chris Bodie is a trumpet player that's had a lot of success, and he's a very simple, melodic player, but his tone is beautiful and he really is an excellent player. He went to Indiana University. You, you don't get to a high level w- without a lot of education, good teaching, discipline, and practice. You don't just walk out and, and do a rap song and.
0: Well, you know what I can say is become a great musician. I noticed that when we went to the Jamie Eversall camp when I was in seventh grade, I think it was or eighth grade or going into summer of eighth grade. Um, you know, I I picked up the guitar just because. Of one of my friends, Mark is his name, actually, ironically, uh, loves music, and, and his dad played the guitar. So he has been playing the guitar for a long time. I went over to his house in sixth grade or something, and I heard him playing all these rock songs that I thought were awesome, you know, the relevant songs that I was listening to on the radio, alternative, and it, it didn't, immediately inspired me to, to pick up the guitar. So that's how I think you noticed that I was... Practicing regularly, and you kind of helped open my mind rather than saying, "Hey, stop just thinking about reading those tablatures, um, and let me take you to this camp and, and show you theory and all these things." And I immediately, I thought I was, you know, good in seventh grade because I could play Blink One Eighty Two and, you know, <laughs> you know these. Uh,
1: Fortunately, these, you didn't get their tattoos. <laughs>
0: But, uh, you know, I could play those songs and wanted to, you know, be a comedian, rock star, football player, whatever, all the above, Pearl Jam type. And, uh, you know, we went to this, this camp and immediately I, I saw this kid playing the guitar who had been playing for, what, 12 years at the time. And I was just, it, my jaw dropped. In fact, I was kind of depressed when I saw him because I was like, how, I didn't even know somebody could take the mastery to this level, and, you know, and who knows, I mean, he's probably, you know, there's guys out there who have been doing it decades, even longer than him, but, you know, I immediately saw the difference between mastering the art of, of music or, you know, that type of, you know, mastering and art-like music uh, and being, and pursuing that versus, you know, getting good at a couple songs, being able to play them, you know, in a backyard with a band or something that. So there's definitely uh, that resonated and it it opened my eyes to uh, so much in the world of music.
1: Well, I must say that not speaking as your dad, but uh, you do have a lot of musical ability in there and you have a better ear, a better natural ear for music than I do. And I just wish I had a better ear, but You got, you, you, I don't know where you got it for sure, but you got a really good ear. And if you ever decide to pursue it, um, I think, you know, you have a lot of talent there. So maybe there's a crossover from that to your comedy and back and forth. Well, that's,
0: I appreciate that, Dad. I remember we used to, remember when we were playing songs even when I was just a couple years old? uh, Pony Boy and (laughs) uh, Long Tall Texan.
1: Yeah. I'm a, what's it, I'm a cowboy. I'm huh? a long, tall okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I ride a big, white horse. <laughs> big, wide horse. <laughs> he rides from Texas on a big, white horse. <laughs> well,
0: um, what else, Dad? Anything else that you want to cover? Any questions for me or?
1: Yeah, uh, for any of those people out there that want to be an aspiring musician and and make a living at it, forget about it. <laughs> this is New York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that is. It's a tough life, you know. It used to be a lot easier, but uh, electronics and recording and uh, technology is just really um, kind of shrunk the need for for actual music players. I mean, one guy that can run a keyboard can do a whole trumpet section, sax section, everything else not as good, but they can get by. So uh, that's why I always had a backup. I had something in my back pocket and was able to succeed in another line of business. But I always loved music, and when I hear music like we did tonight... I have a good son that goes with me and appreciates it. Uh it's all worth it. It's good.
0: Awesome. Well, that sounds like a good way to end the podcast. Sounds,
1: sounds good. good.
0: All right, dad. Well, I appreciate you joining and sharing uh everything you did with us and with me.
1: Well, I I didn't say I didn't tell you everything. <laughs> Is there anything else you uh, No. <laughs> I'm just joking around. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome.
0: Well, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Um, Thank you guys for tuning in. And until next time, thanks for joining the Michael Oldroyd Comedy Podcast. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. By the way, am I the only one who's horny?